This is AutoLine Extra, available exclusively on the Internet. Here again is John McElroy. Welcome back. Now we're talking live on the web, Welcome talking with now. all we're our guests. Live on the web. John Stahl from the Wall Street Journal, Jim Hall, 2953 Analytics, Tom Walsh, Detroit Free Press. Jim, let me start with you. We didn't get into talking about any product or cars in the TV version of this discussion. <laughs> Let's start with that. What do you make of the fact that GM's talking about dropping Hummer, Saab, and Saturn? That, that's nothing new, but it looks like it's going to happen. Now. Hummer, Hummer's not new, and, and Hummer's interesting because uh, we knew there were some people sniffing around at Hummer. There's actually an equity a private equity firm that was looking around at it. I don't know how interesting or what their offer was. But with Hummer, what you're buying is, for one thing, you're not going to probably get the H3. I have a feeling they're going to take that platform, the 355, uh, sort of curl up and throw it in the ash can if they could. But you would get the contract to build H2s. And it's, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's something, because you're going to get vehicles when you get the brand. Saturn's another one, because what they're selling is the Saturn Retail Corporation. Saturn, you think about it, Saturn goes back to Roger Smith's idea of a vehicle that is going to push the imports back off the continent. Okay, it's going to be the American small car that genuinely competes. And it had a glorious start. Saturn had a glorious start with a car that wasn't the best car, but they had a lot of the equation right. Last year, Saturn accounted for just over 6.3% of GM's market share. Now, last year was a bad year, let's admit it. But my favorite thing is that GM ended the year with 22.1% market share. Take Saturn out of it, it's 20 and change. So them, by doing this, by killing Saturn, they're going to lose market share. They will not substitute all those Saturn buyers into other GM brands. Right. It's a given. not going to happen. The other thing is, what do you buy with Saturn? You buy a dealer network, effectively. Now, that means you have to already have access to vehicles. Who has the money to buy a dealer network that has access to vehicles? FAW. SAIC. The Chinese. So the irony is that Saturn could become the entree for an offshore importer that doesn't build or offshore manufacturer that doesn't import now to come into the States with the, the, the tool that GM originally did as an import fighter. There's something that is so ironic about this, it's almost disturbing. And it'll be interesting to see what the dealers come up with, because I think they, they, they opine the idea that the dealers could come up with, uh, if they could find somebody that would buy it, that would be good. But but who? Right. Where are they going to get cars? Of course, here, here's a report, Tom. Let me ask you this. this is one of the questions that has come in from our viewers online. Thank you for this. Uh, what about this report that Saturn dealers are looking at buying Saturn and spinning it off as a separate company? Did you see that? And um, I, I, I don't think I've seen the specific one you're referring to, but I have talked to some Saturn dealers who have thrown out that option along with others. The uh, it, It's fine. You know how to run dealerships and and. Saturn has Saturn dealer and dealers have done a good job with with uh, taking care of their customers and making them feel good and everything. But you still got to find some place to manufacture you and design you some cars. Where where is, where is that going to come from? And that you can run a dealer network. There's still a whole other part of this, and that's a distribution system, bringing the cars in from the port, port prepping them, uh, warranty administration, parts administration, warehousing parts. It's a giant, daunting task for the dealers to take on. Even assuming they can find a car to bring in. Right. Well, now is not the time to have discussions about viability of any brands uh, because the market's horrible. Right. Uh, you know, n nobody's doing well, um, and so uh, it is interesting to me as an outside observer uh, that it doesn't claim to be a car guy. Uh, um, that they chose, and it, it has to be the business fundamentals here, not so much the logic of just coming in and swooping in and thinking about this. That they chose Saturn over Buick. Um, Buick feels 
it's nice, the enclave's nice, but it feels a little crusty and it needs a bit of a resurrection still, even after Tiger, even after the enclave. Um, they have a beautiful new car coming out, uh, the lacrosse. Uh, I think they're hoping, I have a feeling they're hoping the lacrosse is going to do for the lacrosse nameplate what the current Malibu did for the bar of soap Malibu it replaced, which, you know, mm -hmm. transaction pricing yeah. went up, fleet went down, sales went up. But and I, I think you have a, a real affinity with Saturn in the United States, and I think you still have that, that respect for the consumer experience, what they represented, and... It, it, it feels like if you're if you're talking about two patients uh, in, in the same operating room, I, I'd, I'd almost feel like Saturn would be less inoperable than the Buick situation. One right of the now. problems with Saturn is they walked away from the the, the product category they were known for: well, entry level small cars, plastic cars, okay? yeah, for yeah. people that didn't want cars. Right? But but the point is, it was a car that was a highly affordable right. car. Right. Exactly. And they moved to forty thousand uh, dollar crossovers, yeah. and they moved to a midsize car that's a very very good midsize car. The problem is, Saturn was defined so much mm -hmm. by the small car right. business. They, the Aura is really a very 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 good car. I'd put it in one of the top five cars in the segment. Yeah. But I'm buying a mid-sized car. What's on my radar? Oh, let's see. Okay, Chevy, right. Toyota, Honda, and Saturn is nowhere to be seen. The problem is you can overcome that in time, but it takes cubic marketing money. Mm -hmm. And they and never, yeah, and they just were not consistent enough about what Saturn was right. and, and who the target audience was. Tom, I disagree. They were consistent for the longest time, and then they brought the new products out and inadequately marketed well, them. Exactly. Well, yeah, but, but that's the consistency issue is a $40,000 crossover mm -hmm. for people who wanted a $13,000 econobox. Yeah. Tom, here's a question. Uh, uh, viewer writes in to say, as a recent GM retiree, how is this going to affect us? I, uh, retirees have got to be worried about their health care and their pension. What would you tell them? Absolutely. Um, I, I would say be thankful for what you have. Be prepared for, for some cutbacks in all of that and be hopeful that, uh, that they can find a way to avoid bankruptcy because once you get there, I mean, if these pensions get thrown Onto the onto the government, you know the history of the steel industry in other places is, you know you get what three three uh, thirty cents on the dollar or Maybe fifty cents on the dollar. Yeah, you, you, get, you get more than thirty, but, but it's it's uh, but you, you you'll, you'll a, probably you, see it half. You get a half, yeah. You, know, you get a haircut seriously. So, um, uh, but for now, you know, a hope and a prayer. Yeah, Jim uh, Chrysler showed. Uh, a, a rollout of what all kind of product it has coming. They're talking about bringing out all kinds of models. They mm -hmm. also included in their viability plans, and by the way, you can get that copy of that viability plan at our website, autolinedetroit.tv, but they had pictures of the new Grand Cherokee and the new 300C. Yep. The 300C, they also included an interior shot. The interior looked pretty good. I mean, it, it's not that clear, but it looked pretty good. But the other two vehicles, to me, looked like mighty thin facelifts. It, it looks to me like, yeah, Chrysler's saying we got all this pro product coming, but they the, didn't change a whole the lot. The 300 is interesting because when you see the 300 in person, probably shouldn't comment on this, but when you see it in person, it has presence the current car doesn't have. And it's very obviously a new 300, but it's definitely new. The 300 works. Uh, there's a new Charger. It's, it's, What's that look on your face it's mean? It's good. Oh, okay. Yeah. That the, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of like they fixed the sins of the first Charger, which was they took this name for a very expressively styled car, and they put it on a 300 that they did sort of a semi-fastback on and had a, a sort of a hideous cow's hip done. Just, they got a new guy in charge of design now <laughs> doing it, and you can see the effect. And I, the, the product they have from a design standpoint, the fidelity's there. The problem is that the 300 and the Charger, while they're very neat vehicles and they're very emotional vehicles to a lot of people, they are not a core segment. The core segment for this market is now what's called a D-car. It's a mid-sized car in the U.S. 
everybody, they're, they're people. There's, Ford is gambling that it's going to shift to Bs and C cars, and it isn't going to. What you're going to see is a reduced overhang D car. You're going to see mid-sized cars with the same package now. They're going to get a little bit tighter package. That's going to be the core. That's the vehicle that they don't have at Chrysler. They're, they're working on one, but that's also the, one of the products that uh, they would probably be in a much better position to do if the Fiat tie-up goes through. Yeah, and talk a little bit about the, the Fiat tie-up, John, uh, from your vantage point. Chrysler said that they think car sales at their company will go up some, I think it was 360,000 units, thanks to getting all this product from Chrysler, from Fiat, including Chrysler dealers selling Alfa Romeos, the, the Milano and the, the Giulia. I think there'd be a, an interest in it. I, I think the old, there is a, a sort of a demand for, for something new. I think we've seen Smart do very well. The question's gonna be, uh, whether or not Chrysler is uh, is suited to uh, to be the the, the best uh, uh, company to feed a uh, new product in the market, or whether or not you'd want to go with somebody a little bit more flexible, a little bit more lean and proven. I mean, they have not had uh, a lot Chrysler's of Chrysler's pretty lean. Mm -hmm. Chrysler's pr pretty lean right now. It really is. Um, the only thing is, you look at their in the plan, and they had the three hundred the three thousand yeah. head count reduction and elimination of one mm -hmm. one. Um, Why have I just blanked out? <laughs> um, oh well, I know what anyway, I'm not yeah. not a plant, but yeah. one. Uh, the word isn't there. Someone help me online. Uh, <laughs> but they get, they're getting rid of some stuff. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, they're getting rid of one one, one uh, shift. Okay. Is what they're yeah. talking about in there. It's a single shift reduction. Other than right. that, that's their size reduction. Now they're very they're very skinny now. They really are. Um, so you look at that and you say. Do they have more capacity than they need, and are they protecting the fact that one of the things that they will probably be doing is contract production for Fiat? That's right. almost a given. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think they mentioned that those two Alfa Romeos oh, yeah. may American. be built in North America. Yeah, imported initially, plants. and then when the plant oh, comes I mean, online. Fiat thinks they can start building here within a year if they can get this thing done. They'd want to bring the uh, 500 here, uh, and again... That's, uh, it, that's as an import, though. Yeah, right. as in, well, they, they, it, well, when we sat down with uh, Sergio, he did happen to say that they'd like to build that here mm -hmm. uh, sooner rather mm -hmm. than later as well. So um, whether or not he was you know, serious, I don't know, but they'd have big plans for this manufacturing network. Um, a, uh, you know, a big problem is it's still a, a unionized workforce. Uh, and that's not as lean and flexible as... Uh, well, it might be by the time the and, viability yeah, plans are approved. That, but, but remember their baseline for fiat. I don't remember it. Italy. Okay. Yeah. You want to talk about flexible? <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, you want to talk about a good working but, relationship? Come on. They've, they've done a yeoman's job of getting profitable at that company and doing it uh, under... Uh, you know, uh, my point is that this labor will be cheaper than that labor. Italy is subsidizing a lot of the layoffs right now that that Fiat has. I mean, they've made it possible for them to shut down operations over the last couple of months, if I'm not mistaken, and making it much easier for uh, for for them to remain in, uh, viable mm -hmm. over the short term. They come here, and you don't have that same provision yet. You don't have a, a, a workforce that necessarily is lean and mean. Uh, and it's proven, and, and would you rather just start from scratch? I mean, that's, that's the, the argument right now. Of course, the whole question is, is the whole Fiat thing going to go through? Tom, I, I need to get your input on this because, uh, A, the Fiat thing has not been approved yet, and now we're starting to hear this bubble up of, hey, why don't GM and Chrysler get together again? That bubble up's only coming from Cerberus. And That's Bob Corker and Chrysler no. said in its its viability plan, oh, which it is was Cerberus. Put in by Cerberus. Oh, okay. That line yeah, is yeah. in there because of Cerberus. It well, plain and simply. Well, let, 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 let's get Tom yeah. comment on this, and I'll come back to you guys on it. Well, I'm not sure how much any of it makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, this is this is remember this is a desperate 
company. I mean, this is Cerberus has a, just a lot of money sunk into Chrysler and GMAC, and they're just trying to you know pull out as much as they can and cut their losses. And you know they're they're throwing stuff up at the wall, different stuff all the time. So. I take all of it with some grain of salt. Sure, Fiat's had a nice comeback uh, and a return to profitability, but you know they've really been kind of marching around in the wilderness for a long time. Are they really ready for prime time in this market? I, I don't know. See, I, if you look at what what Alpha or what Fiat wants to do, they want to use Alpha in the United States. They don't want to use the Fiat name per se. Right. Uh, the Fiat name would probably appear at Chrysler dealers on the 500, the Cinquecento. That's where we'd see Fiat name. Alpha, they know, uh, it, the best part about Alpha is it's, it's, it's a nameplate a lot of people are aware of, but they don't have the connotation. Negative. Of, so they can define, they can redefine Alpha to no small degree. That's why doing the Julia, which is available as a coupe and a convertible, makes sense because it fits in with the people that remember them. The, the, the sedan is a good idea. The Milano's a sedan. So they're in a position where they could be there. And I mean, look at one of the European imports that's done very, very well recently. It hasn't deteriorated as bad as some of the other guys. Audi. And there's an argument that in some way they could try to get a position here to position them, themselves like Audi. They will sell at uh, premium pricing, so they don't have to, you know, let's face it, Audi and Volkswagen are connected to the hip. Volkswagen. How many times have they tried to do a $40,000 Volkswagen over the last few years? Several times. And the question I have, though, is will they come here and be as frustrated as the Germans have been that Americans aren't willing to pay for the technology that they bring to this market, and how much, uh, how much cost have they poured into these vehicles for other markets where they are willing to pay for fuel fuel efficiency? They are willing to pay for this technology. You bring it here, people are still not jumping. Fiat, to Fiat has Fiat doesn't operate at a price premium in Europe for the right. segments it's it is, it's in. It isn't. It's sort of the low yeah. ball guy. That's why I think they can take the states. Mm -hmm. The other thing is the reason you tie in with Chrysler is you bump start some of the most expensive and and capital intensive parts of importing into the United States. Warranty administration, distribution system, uh, parts warehousing, all of this stuff they'd have to do from scratch because right now their parts distribution system is keyed up to, pr to support two nameplates, Ferrari and Maserati. Mm -hmm. Not a good year. How many Ferraris do you think they sell? <laughs> yeah. Not a lot. No. Hey, uh, what about Pontiac? What do you guys think about that? Uh, you know, there had been talks that it might be killed off, and now they're saying it's not. What are your thoughts they on never, that? That's one of the questions but they, that we They never said at. they were going to kill it off. What they said was they were going to concentrate on four-volume brands. And if you think about it, what they're looking at Pontiac doing is these little sort of niche vehicles that they want to sell, but they don't make sense to do. Because, I mean, you know, another sports car, Chevrolet, give me a break. Right. They don't need it. So how do you do Pontiac? Do you just import cars from Holden, or how, how do you support the brand? You could import cars from, from multiple parts of the, the GM organization. Um, you know, and, and if the Alpha project gets turned back on, which is the rear-wheel drive small car, the idea was that a Solstice and View could be, or um, a Solstice and Sky could come off that platform. Well, they don't have to worry about one of those now, and they may not have to worry about the other. So I think you could see it with, with import source product. You know. yeah, it's got, it, they've got to completely redefine. I mean, GM showed a slide a couple of weeks ago, I think in January, mid-January, about the, pen, the fleet pen. I mean, ask the fleet customers what they want. That's, that's where if you want to redefine Pontiac today for their chief customer, you've got to go to the fleets. I mean, they have to really, uh, I mean, I, when you ask Pontiac, I, I think, so what? You know, I don't know. I, why not just cut it off with the rest of them? You know, and I know there are, are, are great, there's great potential for, for Pontiac, I'm sure, in this market, but at this point, um, Again, as the outside observer, I'd say, you know, I don't really care, you know, quite it, frankly. It depends on how much incrementality <laughs> you want to add to the, uh, the, the dealer franchise that's held at. That's what it comes down yeah. to. 
It's, and, it's unfortunate, but I think they've <laughs> they've lost it on, on a good amount of Americans why they why they're around other than if you need a, a good G6 at the at the lot. Hey, going back to the viability plans, Tom, were you uh, surprised to see the GM number that it wants to eliminate another 47,000 jobs? And, and do you believe it's even going to happen? Well, I think it may, and it may have to. Um, I, remember, that's a, a worldwide number, and I think that's a reflection of the fact that, you know, this has really morphed from a U.S. problem into a global one. And it was uh, announced about two weeks ago. And the, the, it wasn't new. Oh, the, really? Yeah. Okay. It was announced about two weeks ago, 10,000 white collar, of which about, right. I think it was uh, 17% were, were, 15% were, 13% were U.S., 15% were European, and the rest were around the world. But that number, we already knew. I don't think we knew the 47,000. Yeah, I, I had, yeah. I had not heard it. The 47,000 number? If you poked around, it was there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the, they've made it very crystally clear. They want more than 10,000 out of the labor workforce. Hey, here's my thing, though. GM and Chrysler have gone to the government and went, oh, man, this market is dead as a doornail. Even Chrysler's rosiest forecast for 2016 is not even 14 million units. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're just saying, you know, depression levels far out to the horizon. I, for one, don't believe it. Doesn't seem like any other car company believes that. Their forecasts are much higher than that. GM. Plan for the worst. GM's is a little bit higher. Ford's higher. is higher still. GM's a bit higher. Uh, BMW, Mercedes, they all see even <laughs> Toyota well, sees I mean, a better if you market. Talk to people in uh, April of 2008, before all this hit the fan, what's the thing that they were going to tell you was wrong with GM? They had, and this is no offense to the people that work and live in this area, they had gobs of middle management around the world that needed a bit of thinning. And this may be, I mean, you know, this 10,000 number is tough to digest for people in the white-collar workforce. That, that's still not uh, maybe enough in terms of to get them as flexible as they need to be. They're not spending a lot on CapEx right now, and, uh, and a lot of people are sort of, you know, waiting to find out what they need to do next. Um, I, I think this is something that maybe GM needed to do uh, even before they got into trouble, this much trouble. Right. But what do you think, Tom? I mean, what if the market... All of a sudden, let's say the stimulus plan works great mm. and the market starts to come back. And I don't mean bounce right back to 16 million, but let's say it jumps another million higher than what GM or Chrysler are saying right now. They're not going to have to make all these cuts, are they? Uh, well, they'll, they can stop at, you know, at some point. If, I mean, yeah, if the market goes crazy, sure, they can, uh, they can take some, you know, they can stop you know, the, the methodical cutting to some degree. Or they can call people back. I mean, they're, they're still going to have the plants and the buildings. They're not going to be really short of capacity Bear in mind, for John, a long time. You plan for this to be where you break even or where you become profitable. Everything else is wind in your sails. That's right. part of what a profitable business is about. You plan, you, you get it so you can get through the worst, and then you become very profitable when things turn good. The other thing is people that think that we're going to have a 16 million unit year between now and 2015 are absolutely smoking dope. There has been so much loss of wealth that's affected the middle class where they're going to be sitting here and people are holding on to their vehicles now longer. Let's face it, they're built better now than they have been in the past. And the automatic rollover of cars that happened because of easy and cheap leasing, that's gone for a while. We're not going to see leasing come back. And a lot of folks are going to say, look, here's the deal. Honey, we hold on to the car for another year and we put the money in a 401k in our 401k to pump it back up. That's going to be the decision. The buying, the, the cycle time of ownership has changed as a result of what's happened and it's hit the boomers, which is a giant, a giant group of people that have a lot of inertial effect, and it's, it's also hit uh, the, the older exers. You put that group together, you have a change in buying profile.
And that isn't going to change right away. Eventually, we can get up there, but you've got to have real population growth because the percent of people buying new cars is going to be down easily now to 2015. Uh, GM announced it's going to close another five plants. We've got a, a viewer here watching who asks, uh, any idea which plants it might close? Uh, <laughs> it depends on who you talk to. Uh, uh, I, I would think that they might have a, a one too many um, small car uh, plants on the horizon here. I mean, Hamtramck and Lordstown will both be geared up to make a, a Delta-based product. And, and you're the product guy. You probably bounce this off you. But feeling is that that might be one too many. Um, and then... Usually when you see an assembly plant cut, uh, we're talking about a few uh, parts and uh, engine, powertrain, and stamping, stamping plants yeah. that go along with that. Uh, is it Mary? Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple stamping plants left. Some people have argued that GM just needs to get out of the stamping business altogether. So, so the stamping plants could have an expiration date on them. Even when you see a situation like Lordstown, where they have the stamping plant right next to the assembly plant, there's no reason to believe that that stamping plant is safe even if the assembly plant's safe. So mm -hmm. you could see uh, some, some real rationalization uh, around uh, the stamping organization. Remember though, GM's learned a heck of a lot about uh, costs. And they're going to look at things when they close plants. As, for example, where are the support plants and what's the outbound freight from there to the assembly plant? Yeah. And in a lot of cases, that may be the determinant for which plant. Right. And that's and why a lot of people are shaking their boots in Kansas City right now. Because if course. you look at they make the Lake Orion, uh, Michigan, and I mean, Lake Orion obviously is, could because be it makes the Pontiac G6 well and set up. The, spillover, um, the spillover Malibus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but you're right. It, outbound freight's an issue. And, and one of the things I think you're right. I think you're going to see. I think you're going to see a large truck plant down. Mm -hmm. And I think you're also going to see a vehicle plant. And it's likely a small plant. But remember, the uh, uh, Hamtramck's output is way lower. Oh yeah. And the car they're building at Hamtramck that we know they're building at Hamtramck is a labor-intensive vehicle compared to what they build in yeah. Hamtramck or in yeah. uh, Lordstown. So that may be a reprieve for. Uh, that plant. And remember now, if you at GM. Well, I think what they've talked about is maybe repurposing space, such as at Lordstown, where you could you've got a lot of empty space there. That could could they do that? I mean, it'd be very expensive. But remember, those DOE loans need to be spent. Right. You know, and when you're talking about seven or eight billion dollars worth of loans, that's a lot of money that's to, a lot to, of to plant really reserves. reflex your plants. And when you've got a lot of empty real estate, you know, in in Lordstown, Ohio. You could see that flush. The out. argument is, though, that the money will go to plants where they build less fuel-efficient vehicles. Mm. Oh, to repurpose. To add a small vehicle well, there to get yeah. the percent up. You see, it, it's, you look at it that way, and it's a new part of the matrix. Mm -hmm. But I don't think plant closings will be determined by the DOE money. Yeah. I don't. I think it's, it's going to be determined by actual cost to build, outbound freight, and where's the duplication in the range. Remember, though, wherever they build the next-generation Delta, be it Lordstown or, or uh, Hamtramck, they can also build an Epsilon. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. The, the, arch the assembly architectures are transparent. As long as you, as you have fixtures that can handle the width, you're covered. So the idea that we've, we've traditionally used is that this is a Delta plant, right. for example. That's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. That's gone. Tom, here's somebody who writes in to say, uh, what about the stimulus plan? Is that going to get car sales going? What, what, what's your sense of that? Um, I don't think uh, there's a lot in the stimulus plan. The, the specific incentive they had for car sales got kind of cut in half, yeah. if I recall. Um, and, 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 you know, like Rick Wagner said the other day, uh, anything's better than nothing. But they, they don't expect a huge bump from uh, a specific car sales thing. I think, uh, I think ultimately uh, a lot of this depends on the success of the housing yeah. stuff that they're doing. I mean, it, until we get some stability in the housing market and people have some confidence in, you know, is my house, what's my house worth, then 
then everything else is frozen. In fact, we had uh, Jim Farley from Ford on the show a couple of weeks back, and he said their research showed for their customer that was the number one issue. Of course, this is assuming people who have jobs, right? Right. Uh, but then the thing that they worried about more than anything else, more than their 401k, is their, their house price. Yep. Yep. So uh, what else? What else are we missing discussing about these viability plans? Anything? Well, I mean, I think we've got to look at the fact that uh, uh, when it comes to GM, um, one of the things, one of the, when you talk about the stability of the market, and one of the interesting things is going to be whether or not March 31st, we were talking about March 31st earlier, whether it's a hard deadline or not. I think one of the things GM's going to come to the table with and say is it's very hard to restructure a company when you have no idea what you're restructuring for. Mm -hmm. when, when the world was a much stabler and kinder place and we, we had a thought that 16 million was a safe range to think about, it was it was easy it was easier uh, to say this is how big we need to be. I mean, we saw the 2005 restructuring plan really built for a 16, 17 million SAR. Now you're saying, are you building for a nine and a half million SAR, or are you building for a 13 and a half million SAR? Where in that range, you know, and that makes it very difficult to go into a quick bankruptcy situation. For instance, if you were to say we want to get into a you know a three month, six month prepack or cram down. Um, one of the things you'd have to say is, okay, what are we resizing for? And I, and I think GM can have that in their back pocket right now to go back and say, hey, well, the economy's not fixed yet. And because the economy's not fixed yet, the very critical idea of how big this auto market's going to be isn't fixed. They may be able to use that to get a couple more months. Um, and I know GM's thinking about that right now, is maybe we can get April or May out of the, out, out of the administration. It's not unreasonable to think that. I'd like to hear my colleagues talk yeah. a little bit, too, about Ford here. Mm -hmm. um, I think Ford's done a masterful job uh, of separating themselves from the other two and conveying the image that, and I think they've done some good for the Ford brand that, that may pay off in the long term, that, hey, we're going to be here for a while. We don't need the government loans. We've been better about husbanding our cash and all this kind of stuff. When you look at their cash burn, they're really not in very much different shape. And if this market doesn't pick up, I don't see how they make it through the year without tapping into something. But they have done kind of a masterful job. Jim, you were about to chime in a while ago saying something else is really different about Ford. Tell there, me what that is. There is something different about Ford. One thing, remember, that the home, the home equity loan they took out, the home improvement loan, I remember when it happened, I'm thinking, <laughs> boy, is this weird. It panned out for them. That worked. Yep. And it's one of the reasons that Citicorp is, is been hammered so bad because they had fixed payback rates on it. Like it was, the majority of it was through Citibank. It was really pretty clever on their part, and Citibank thinking, oh, the bank's fine, we'll be able to do this. Okay, things change. Why is taking a loan, and they've even said, we don't want a loan. We might want a loan guarantee, but not a loan. Why is a loan absolutely off the table for Ford Motor Company? You mean another? Taking it to begin with. Why is it they were so vehemently against it? Well, Category B stock. What, you're oh. talking about the family <laughs> stock. The, the family, family stock. What are, what are the conditions of taking the TARP money? One of them is you cannot pay a dividend, period, end of discussion, full stop. The family who controls management of the company would see their income fall to zero. What is their income now on the dividend? Is there a, They're getting, they're 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 the, B, the B category pays a dividend. Oh, I, I thought that it was all suspended, but um, <laughs> I, I, I was under the impression that the family was uh, not getting a dividend. They're getting, they're getting money. Jumping around here, uh, uh, we had an earlier question and, and some comment about that too. Why are they keeping GMA, Jim, GMC, which has a product line that overlaps with Chevrolet? It's, Why would you keep GMC? Well, the truth is, until recently, GMC was a, was a low-cost division because you're changing some plastic parts. The total incremental tooling in a bad year might be 80 million bucks. You're going to pay that off, trust me. Mm -hmm. 
one, it's that they've shown that it is incremental sales. Yeah. And very and profitable. Very profitable. And it's, it's sales in some cases in different communities. Right. But generally speaking, it looks like there's a tremendous amount of overlap. They actually are selling more because of it. It's, for example, it's the same reason that you have Cheerios and cinnamon apple Cheerios. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're both Cheerios. But because you have the other flavor, you sell more because you get those people and they'll buy. Right. There used to be a time when people actually believed. You'd talk to customers and say, oh, yeah, the GMCs, you know, they're built in the same line. They take them off and finish them somewhere else. Yeah. It's like, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> but basically, it's, but the it's, answer is it's, it's making money. It's making money. Why get rid now, of something that's making money? What you're going to see is the trucks are probably over time, if, when they do the next full-size truck, which will be reviewed again this summer, which means it's probably 2013, 2014, 2015, it's going to get much closer to the Chevy truck again. <clears throat> Excuse me. It had, for one time... This truck now has new fenders, new bed, and so on. It'll converge back to a lot of common sheet metal. And when that happens, the profitability will go up. Let's see. Uh, what about uh, the Astra? Uh, what's going to happen there? Are they going to ship them to third world countries or chop them up? <laughs> the ones sitting on dealer lots right now? I, I think that's what they mean. No car remains unsold forever. Every car will be sold. All right. As I'm fond of saying, they don't take it apart at the end of the year and send the parts back to the suppliers. Mm -hmm. they, they do sell them. That's absolutely right. But, yeah. you know, that's an interesting project because it shows what happened and where GM was on the just not able to manage uh, currency volatility. They planned the car when it was about 98 cents to the euro, and they had vehicles being imported when it was close to $1.60. So the profitability of the car vaporized. It's why they didn't promote it. There was no advertising. They ship many here. No, yeah, exactly. You could go to a dealer here. And find maybe two or three. I remember yeah. I went to the Saturn of Troy dealership uh, even before we saw this major, major uh, drop-off. Hey, uh, I was uh, driving the Astra for a week. We had uh, paid out to get one at the Journal. We had it in our office. I thought it was a great car versus what Toyota was offering. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go to the dealer to find out how it was going. So I pull up in my Astra. I said, where'd you get that? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we had a discussion about it, and it turns out they had two, and one of them they were not willing to sell. Mm -hmm. Now that may have been uh, for demo purposes. Demo purposes. That may have, been, you know, maybe maybe there was something going on specifically at that dealership. But you know, the Fisher Saturn dealership in Troy, if anybody's probably a proxy for how they want Saturn to do, it's that dealership because they have such a, a strong uh, affinity with the they, employees. They couldn't get the, the vehicles were in short supply because they didn't import a lot. It was it was a it was a cash loser. And it's like, it's and like, nice it was car. like the Escape Hybrid for a long time. Right? Exactly. I mean, the yeah. Escape Hybrid had a great, great uh, uh, marketing issue. The problem was you'd go to a dealer and say, "Hey, if you can find me one, I'll sell it to you." Right? <laughs> I mean, my dad sells Fords. I remember that problem. He he had that problem for a long time. Is they they you know now now it's an ordering different di differential, but at the beginning it was we we can't even get one. Yeah, uh, we're cu we're coming up to the top of the hour here. We're about to wrap it up. But Tom, let me th throw it to you then. Uh, I hear a lot of people say. This is the end of the UAW. What's your sense of how the union is going to emerge out of this transition? Well, they've you know they've had to they'd have, they've had to give a lot back, and they're going to have to give back some more. But I think uh, I think we I think there's an ebb and flow in American you know society and politics, and I don't think unions are dead by any stretch. And I think over time, although you know I'm probably not Ron Gettelfinger's favorite person. Um, over time, I think that the UAW has has performed um, uh, admirably and and ethically in a way you know that has always you know benefit. The, the focus has been on helping the membership. I mean, they've never they've never paid egregious sums to their presidents, and you know they've never had huge huge scandals. Um, you know, this has been a union that that really has done has pretty much paid attention to its knitting. 
negotiated wonderful contracts for its employees when times were good and and is going through a very difficult period retrenching um, but I don't I don't think the union is dead by any stretch do you, do you think that we might even see a resurgence and here's why I say that they're they're getting their wages whacked down to transplant levels you know the the viva is going to take the whole uh, uh, retiree health care thing off the table uh, the work rules are getting knocked down to transplant levels and maybe maybe later this year we'll see an employee free choice act I mean wouldn't all that make it easier for the union to go in and organize the transplant? Well, I think especially at the transplant level, you're seeing for the first time since the transplants came into this country in big numbers, they're, they're knocking off shifts, they're laying off people, and, and they're, they're cutting off benefits and looking to cut costs. So, you know, they've, they, they've had their first tough times to go through. So, so yeah, I think if, uh, if indeed the unions can get a message together okay, here's our value proposition, and, and really sell that, that the transplants could be vulnerable for the first time in history. I don't the know how employees... The past, though, they were never able to put together a message that could sell. They no, really couldn't. They couldn't. And, and, and they, they, we always talk about, well, you know, we're prohibited from doing that. That's only part of it. If you have a compelling message, you'll have people say, yeah, let's look at it. And they, they were... I think it's because there are still people at Solidarity House that think that Walter Ruther is alive somewhere in the Flint plant, the Buick Flint plant, still there, <laughs> camped out, that they have to realize their message has to change as, as things evolve, just as the auto industry has had to change. And a change is painful. And the union has not been able to really get a handle on that. And this may force them to do it. I mean, this may force them to it. And now maybe some more interest in organizing at a... At a the thing you have to be careful of is that, that another group doesn't organize. Right. Mm, true. Well, real good. Let's wrap up this discussion. We're at the top of the hour. I really want to thank all of you guys for, for being here. John Stoll with the Wall Street Journal, Jim Hall, 2953 Analytics, Tom Walsh, business editor of the Detroit Free Press. It's been great. It's been great having you all online watching us live here. We've got to give uh, props out to our media partners, Autoblog, The Auto Channel, WWJ. Also, thank you folks at Ustream for helping get the word out about all this, but especially for all you folks who participated online, we truly appreciate it.